0: hello and thank you so much for tuning in to the travel and transformation show with me your host and today my guest is and i hope i don't butcher your last name lisa okay i'm about to butcher it so so me
1: well done, Sophia. Yes.
0: Oh, sweet. Okay. I really thought I was. Gonna, I wasn't going to get that. Anyway, guys, let me tell you a little bit about Lisa. She is a productivity strategist, accountability coach, founder of Positively Productive Systems, and host of the Positive Positively Living podcast. She helps multi-passionate creatives reduce overwhelm and boost productivity without the burnout and without sacrificing what they love. When she's not sharing the wonders of simplicity, self-awareness, self-care, and systems, you'll find her acting (laughs) like a rock star or watching (laughs) movies with her husband and kiddos, or hiding out with an iced coffee and a good book, probably trapped under a cat.
1: (laughs) All very accurate.
0: (laughs) That sounds pretty amazing. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you coming on. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you manage to start working with multi-passionate people? and how you help us. And I do say us because I love lots of different things. Get out of overwhelm when you're trying to put, do it all, put it all together, make it fit and carry on like it's a whole package because you're a whole package.
1: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Uh, thank you thank you so much Sophia. i really appreciate being here and i would love to share my story i'll try to be as succinct as i can in terms of what i consider the origin story of becoming a productivity strategist and ultimately it's this i was in survival mode so if you are overwhelmed if you are burned out if you feel like you're headed there or you've been there and you're trying to recover i feel you heart to heart i've been there done that and i did it as a caregiver for my mom who had alzheimer's while i had my babies i actually was pregnant twice while caring for her it was a very unusual sandwich caregiver situation and it was complete overwhelm it brought many blessings to my life not the least of which is the life lessons that put me on this path to doing Mm -hmm. what i do now but it was so difficult and so draining and when I no longer needed to care for her, and I was stepping out of this, uh, you know, deeply draining situation. My first instincts were, okay, what do I need to do now? We, we've, you know, drained our finances. I need to get a job. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Right? That's a thing that we ask ourselves mm-hmm. all the time. And something inside me said, whoa! What you need to do is take a moment, take a breath, take a nap, you know, take a minute, <laughs> right? To to just process everything to go through everything and and like in some literally like I had boxes and bins of stuff that I hadn't attended to because when you're in survival mode you have to let a lot of stuff go so i listened to that voice and i started to declutter my life inside and out which is why i talk about simplicity and decluttering to this day i realized how powerful it was and it put me on the path to help people declutter their lives i started as a professional organizer but realized early on okay i can go in and we can you know rework closets and all of these things are very valuable but really what i want to get to is the person behind the stuff Mm. the head and the heart is where the clutter is and if we get there first and we deal with the trauma and the grief and the confusion and we also deal with the innovation and the ideas and the excitement and the confusion right if we deal with all of that we're going to get there further faster we're going to get like to the heart of the clutter faster and we'll be good to go so that shifted me into productivity coaching and then what brought me to the multi-passionate world is the fact that i am one and the more that i studied productivity the more that i helped others i realized how singularly focused our world tends to be i had already dealt with the guilt and the frustration uh in being in a world where People are like, just pick one thing, right? Yes. You know, wait, wait, did you pick some one thing already? Like, why do you keep changing? And, it, it, you know, you really get this message all the time of what's wrong with you. And then on top of that, when you love all the things and you get so excited and you're like, I want to do this, I'm to do this, also that. And that's a beautiful thing. And I guess it's always been my goal to say, well, how can we do this? But in the best, healthiest way. So you get to do those things, but also not burn yourself out in the process. So I I took up the torch on behalf of multi-passionates. I'm like, we're figuring this out. And there's not only nothing wrong with you, there's everything right with you and amazing and creative and innovative with you. So let's find the right productivity approach for you.
0: Well, that sounds pretty amazing. And I want to touch on that, but I want to go back to something that you talked about, clutter. And you said decluttering your mind and your heart. So with the people that you worked with, what are some of the things that you noticed as patterns that came up for them with their clutter?
1: Mm, I love that you asked that because we do see patterns because we have patterns in terms of the things that we process, our experiences in terms of trauma and grief, especially. And if you think about it, you ever watched the show Hoarders, right? Uh, everybody has. Um, sometimes I watch it just to feel better about myself. Uh, and, and when you watch that, one of the first things they do is they bring in a therapist because they understand the deep connection internally to the stuff so what i've seen is patterns of using clutter um and in this case physical clutter but we could also go into you know clutter that of um like the our to-do lists and and our calendars and keeping busy and things like that i've seen clutter as being a type of protection Mm. because if you're too busy or you have too much stuff you can't interact with the world like they might want to you know uh clutter physically in in a space means that you you kind of have a barrier up and it can can keep others at bay it can keep you from having to invite others over uh to-do list clutter being ultra productive is absolutely a trauma response, actually. I mean, mm, I'm all about being productive. I'm a productivity strategist, but ultra productivity and that deep seated need where we identify and believe in our value based on what we do. Mm. That's, that's a trauma response. So yeah, I was seeing like all of these like tendencies to collect things, to feel safe. I mean, you could see it in people who went through the depression, right? Where they don't want to go through that again. So it's kind of a response to having had nothing that they want to collect everything and they don't feel safe enough to let go. I could see people definitely creating physical boundaries. Uh, Also too, I think just making the choices of, um, letting go of things. And I don't even talk about decluttering as letting go, but more like making space for what matters. Mm, But they would think of it. Thank you. They would think of it as letting go though. And then they're like, well, I don't want to let go of these things that represent a person I've lost. That's where grief plays a big role. Yeah. So I started just seeing all these connections to our experiences and our challenges and you know, making decisions based on, I guess, like our 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 deep seated beliefs of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. I think a lot of obligation happens. Classic case of decluttering in this uh, that I'm sure you'll appreciate. And we've all gone through this, so go ahead and tell me your experience with this. But you get a gift, and you're like, "Oh, I really don't want this," but I don't dare declutter it because it was a gift. Now I feel obligated to keep it. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the first things I help people declutter. I'm like, no. Nope.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've gotten better about that, mm-hmm. but there, are, but a lot of, I, well, as time has gone on, I haven't gotten as many gifts, boo. Cause y'all I like gifts, but I usually get <laughs> stuff that I like. Right. So it yes. really is hard to let go of it because I like it. Mm-hmm. You know, but do I need to keep it forever? Maybe not. But there are some things that I'm like, yeah, I really do want to keep it. <laughs> but you know, I just went through because my dad passed last October, mm-hmm. and I went through cleaning out his place, and I was like, dang, I haven't lived with my dad for so long, and I recognize. I was like, is this in the DNA? Cause it's like, he kept everything.
1: (laughs) It very well made. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, And that's, that's a big, that's a big ask to, to go through, through someone's stuff like that. And, and also feel the responsibility of what to keep and, and, and what to release.
0: Yeah. But then I looked at it and I was like, well, I'm a lot like him. And I never, Mm -hmm. I never realized that because. When, you know, we were growing up, my mom, now she's like, <clears throat> she's the cleaner. So she'll mm-hmm. just like move through like a Hoover and just, it's done. <laughs> you know. So I never saw clutter growing up. And then I realized it's like, I'm a lot like my dad. I had no idea. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, wow, if I were to die tomorrow, I don't want anybody to have to do this but then it's like, I don't wanna do it either.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is the catch, isn't it?
0: <laughs> but yeah, I've gotten I've gotten so much better. I'm, you know, a lot better now about letting go of things, but still a lot of stuff to let go. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, I will offer you this. It's it's one of my favorite approaches, and it uh, goes to a quote from Peter Walsh. He was uh, he is very uh, very well known on TV, uh, professional organizer, and and his quote is that you know clutter is not just the stuff on the floor, but anything that gets in between you and the life you want to live. Yeah. So if you think about that as defining clutter, that also means that the things that are not getting in the way of you and the life you want to live, that's not clutter. Other people might think it is. So to those of you creatives who love the crafting or 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 my fellow bibliophiles or things like that, as long as... These things are not getting in the way of the life you want to be living, of your future goals, of being healthy, of being your best you. Then they're not clutter no matter what someone else says. Conversely, even if you're like, but they aren't clutter to me because I love them, but somehow, whether it's physical or mental, they are holding you back. You need to have, you know, heart to heart with yourself about that, possibly even. It's not always that you have to get rid of things, right? And it's not always that you have to be like, okay, it's all going. Sometimes it's how can I reduce it and keep a section that mm. still honors what I love. Like I've done that with books. I keep hard copy books, only a subsection of my absolute favorites, my rereads, my references, the ones for my business that I love, you know, my Simon Sinek and my Greg McEwen essentialism and my habits books and things that are special to me and other things I'll have uh, digital. So it's, there's a lot of different ways to achieve it. The key is to start with what matters to you?
0: I like that because yeah, I, I keep books. I love to read. I, mm-hmm. and I realize that reading for me also is self-care mm-hmm. and I need to make more time to do it because even if it's a reference book, if it's an, if it's something that I'm interested in, I can fall down that rabbit hole and yeah. just be with the book. So yeah, I have a ton of books. I am a crafter. Mm-hmm. Called it. <laughs> Called it. Yes. Crafter jewelry maker. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got I have I have the things <laughs> and all the accoutrements to go with the things. But you know, I I feel like if everything has its placeness, like you said, if it's not stopping you from living your life. And those are actually things that bring you joy because crafting again can be just so Mm self-soothing. It can be relaxing. It can be your happy place, your peaceful place. So I think whatever that thing is for you, it's okay. You know, because there's just so much judgment outside. And -hmm. then when you bring that judgment in on yourself, then, you know, all you're doing is beating yourself up and then feeling bad about something that actually makes you feel good. So, you know, and then you have that, it's like the two little, the angel and the devil on your shoulder, and they're constantly at battle. (laughs) And that just makes life so difficult.
1: It does. Well, when we, like you said, bring in um, those judgments from the outside, you are the one who knows, you know, if jewelry making is, is like a, You know one of those well it could be and i thought it was a a good idea at the time kind of thing it could be what everyone else said that's the that's the way to to you know have a hobby or i was going to make it a business because we feel like every hobby has to be a business you know like there are a lot of messages that we get that that could be the reason and so that's when you want to start questioning it but if you're like but no i love to do this it's soothing It, you know, it's special to me. Well, there you go. That's your answer. And then that actually boosts productivity. That's where you start getting into, as you said, forms of self care. We're so confused by this idea of self care. We think it's pampering, but it's not. It's things that nourish and nurture us, that light us up, that energize us. And when we do those things, when you play into your strengths and your values. This is positive psychology, right? Uh, Which is what uh, my productivity uh, coaching is based on. When you do those things, you live a more fulfilling life. And don't we all want that? So if the idea that you are multi-passionate and you love these different things and everyone else is looking askance, you can be like, look all you want. This is making me a better me. I'm showing up better in every place in my life. You're a better podcaster, you're a better person because of these hobbies, because of these things that that you keep and you do because of how it fills you up.
0: I love that. So tell me, how do you actually work with a multi-passionate person and how do they need to work differently than say somebody who is single focused?
1: So what's interesting is that the advice that I give for multi-passionates can absolutely work for a singularly focused person. I've had a number of people who are like upholders and and fairly well regimented, but I think maybe somewhere deep down inside, they do kind of have a a, a multi-passionate or multifaceted kind of way about them. But we start In a place that most people don't expect when they're like, you're a productivity strategist. So I'm sorry, what are we doing? We actually begin with personality assessments, with uh, core values assessments, with strengths assessments, because we're looking at your character strengths. And again, all of this, they're going to be clues to inform us of how you work best because Mm -hmm. self-awareness is your number one productivity tool once you know if you think about how that like connects to everything you do in life if you know that you are an introvert okay and that your circadian rhythm indicates that you're more of a night owl then trying to go to a networking meeting early morning is not you're not going to show up your best for that it's going to be counterintuitive. well it, it, maybe it's counterintuitive to say to not do that because everyone's telling you to mm. but what it's going to be is counter to what you do best uh, case in point okay i am humor is a big it's a character strength it's a A value, a core value for me. So I show up kind of ridiculous on my social media. I like to make people laugh. I like to make myself laugh and hope everybody laughs along with me. Or if I look ridiculous enough, maybe just laugh at me. It doesn't Hmm. matter to me as long as you're laughing. It meets my values of helping people because laughter is so stress relieving and stress management is a big part of what I do. And I can remember learning about you know we I'm an entrepreneur and I need to be on social media. And it felt so regimented and controlled. And there were rules. And I was like, "Mm, I'm just going to break the rules. But it took a while because the first thing you do is you absorb what people are telling you to do. And then you try to do that, right? And then when you're like, but I'm not showing up. Okay. Another example of how we figure out how we work best. Everyone said, start a blog. And I'm a decent writer. So I started a blog and now I want you to Imagine this is the blog and here's the sound effect. Ooh, that's me blowing like two inches of dust off the blog that I never touched. <laughs> I did not keep the habit because it was a snooze fest for me. And then I discovered podcasting. And, you're like, Ooh. and I was like, oh, hello. And what's funny is I still write a lot for podcasting completely different. I show up differently. I'm more energized when I do it, it's where I'm supposed to be. And that is a habit I've kept. I'm over 170 episodes on my podcast, Wow! Uh, you know, over three years doing this. And I've done it consistently every single week. And the blog is still languishing. <laughs> I'm kidding, I mean, now it's the podcast episodes on the blog. But my point is, you find what works for you. You find what lights you up and you do it your way. That's that's what we mean when we talk about authenticity, which is a poorly abused word but and, and misunderstood. But it just means finding your best. And yeah, when you do that, oh my gosh, you will absolutely be productive. I'm sure productive, that's easy for me to say. I am sure that you have examples that you're already thinking of. of you're like, oh yeah, that's why I'm so... Uh, I achieve so much in this area because I love it so much.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I love, I love doing this podcast. There you go. <laughs> I really do. It's there. I, you know, there, there are the moments, but I mean, life happens, right? And mm-hmm. as we're living, life's always going to happen. But mm-hmm. I really enjoy doing this because I meet all these wonderfully cool people. So. You know, thank you
1: that <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You show up for it because you love it. and that's that's the most simplified way to describe being productive,
0: so let's just go back a second Please. to some of um the assessments that you were talking about, because yeah. I don't think that most people would associate doing assessments with productivity. and I mean, Well, I guess it really depends on what you read and who you follow, but Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people who would not put put that together and even just thinking about when you're at your best, because I know for the longest while I've been a night owl, but because I do have to get up early in the morning, I've had to switch it to functioning Mm -hmm. well early in the morning. But there are days when, you know, I wind down and I get this second wind and I am like, boom, I want to do this. And I'm doing this and I'm looking at this. And and it's like, come on, look at the time, look at the time, look at the time, i got to go <laughs> back. <laughs> you know, so I'm sure there are other people in that boat. But yeah, let's go back over those assessments and talk a little bit about those.
1: Sure. And I do want to be clear that that's the beginning of how we work together. We do get to the point once we've done all of that, that then we start taking inventory of all the things you're doing. We take inventory of the things that you want to be doing, what you're not getting to, your frustrations, where you feel like you're being productive, where you feel like you're not being productive. We get to habits. We get to calendaring. We get to all the traditional things that you think of when Mm. it comes to being more productive. We get to those, but the way that we custom design those together comes out so much more effective, so much more sustainable and longer lasting when you start with who you are. So assessments, for example, some of my favorites, the ones that I, I use and, and we start with the core ones, the four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin, now, again, whenever you do a self-assessment, there are some limitations. So we want to look at this like uh when you have circumstantial evidence, they say, you know, it, it doesn't hold up as well in court. But when you have an abundance of circumstantial evidence, it can give you quite a few clues, right, to head you in that direction. So think of it that way. So the four tendencies is a self-assessment. There are four uh, you know, tendency actual tendencies, quadrants, however you want to see it. And to me, those are especially good from a productivity and habit standpoint, because they talk about how you show up. Mm. You've got upholders, obligers, rebels, and questioners. And understanding, for example, the obliger that's like over 70% of the population is someone who says, you know, um, you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. In other words, in order to show up and do the thing, they need someone else to need it from them. Mm. And that means that if they really want to read certain books and grow or do a course or complete a project or do exercise, they do better in group classes or in a book club or things of that nature. If you came out of school and you were like, I was on a team and I I was exercising all the time and it was no problem. And now I can't get myself to exercise. Mm -hmm. It might be an obliger tendency. It's like that. It's those kinds of clues that help us custom design a way to approach something. And also to know things like as soon as I see that you're an obliger, it's almost like I'm profiling you, I guess, um, (laughs) in the best way possible. I'm like, oh, we may have some boundaries issues because Mm -hmm. you're going to show up for others. And it's not even that the other tendencies aren't as giving, but obligers may struggle with the boundaries because they're, you know complying on behalf of others on behalf of others and you know stopping that putting a limit on it Mm. or or kind of working through that process of being like oh no i i do need to do it for me okay how do we leverage it better i I know that those are going to be the challenges the pitfalls the the you know i we it helps me talk to you in a way that can encourage you to say i know this is how you're going to show up well how do we do that in a way that helps you show up the way you naturally tend to but is going to help you
0: Mm. we do it it almost Uh, sounds like an obliger somebody who needs somebody else to be accountable to to hold themselves accountable to do something
1: Absolutely, friggin lootly. Yes, Sophia, you are right on the money. And that's why I probably work with the majority of obligers, not exclusively, mind you. I work with a lot of other tendencies as well. But when it comes to the accountability coach side, because I start with the strategy and you can do strategy alone and then take off, or you do strategy with me and then continue to meet for the accountability. And you're right. The obligers absolutely need that. I had um, an obliger client who wanted to write a book. She runs a successful business uh and you know is a wife and mom and so she's got her family her business and she is an obliger and she struggled to carve out that time to write the book Mm -hmm. and she struggled for years and then she was like okay (laughs) i'm gonna meet with you and we met twice a month you know you don't have to meet every single week for this to work and we did the strategy we created a plan so that we knew what her environment would look like what her habits would look like what she was building toward how we could work with her tendencies she was also an enneagram one and if you know anything about enneagrams they're perfectionists Mm -hmm. so if you have a perfectionist who's an obliger like can you start to see how the assessments can come together to create um you know a vision for how this person is and then say okay how do we create a system where um we help you practice and and develop habits that are going to support you um, being a perfectionist means that we had to create a habit that said what does a successful writing night look like and it was at night because that was quiet because that's when she was most energized and could get into a flow state all of that's Mm. very traditional productivity right but we needed to figure out what i guess what a successful session would look like to her because she's a perfectionist so if she said i have to write x number of words and she didn't it's a failure i'm trash it's trash everything's trash right no we (laughs) don't want that because that's discouraging so we had to say if you show up for this amount of time no matter what you do, even if you outline characters and you scroll Pinterest, that counts as showing up for writing session. Okay, that's successful. So can you start to see how yeah, all of this information can really feed into being your most productive totally.
0: self? Yeah, because again, it's it's almost like you're redefining what success looks like to you because it, yes. it's all or nothing. And it almost sounds like this <laughs> falls that just so falls into like the good girl syndrome and so many women don't think that they're good girls but when you break it down and start seeing that yeah perfectionism is actually part of the good girl syndrome yeah it's like how do you dismantle that or slay it you know what i mean so that you can be functional and think that you've done something well because it's so easy because i am a recovering perfectionist to (laughs) dismiss all the good things that you've done even if they're small things because you didn't do the thing right that you wanted to do so that is so that's pretty cool to look at that
1: yeah, and that's such an important point to watch what it is that we're saying that we must do, right? And also too, when it comes to developing habits, that's why the tiniest habit, the smallest step possible, uh, and also when you track your habits, tracking the process and not necessarily the progress, if that makes sense, because life happens. Mm. So you may not have achieved a level that you expected or wanted or demand of yourself you know I work with a lot of high achievers but if you can track the consistency of showing up to do the thing to try the thing the resilience of it uh, that's that's where you get the success that's where you get the wins
0: and it's it really is important to look at Every little thing as a win and celebrate it because yes, I really think that the more you celebrate the little things, the more things you have to celebrate, and then it's easier to actually say, Oh, well, I did accomplish this, Mm -hmm. I did accomplish that because you've been celebrating all the little wins that have been you were dismissing before, and then all of a sudden, once you start celebrating, then you start opening your eyes, so to speak, to what you're really getting done. And it sounds like it's really a helpful way. And then you talked about core values. And sometimes it's interesting because we live by our core values, but we don't necessarily know how to name what our core values are. Mm -hmm. So I think doing that kind of an assessment so you can actually, not like I want to label everything or put everything in a box, but sometimes when you have a word to describe something, then it's like, oh, okay. You know, if somebody just showed you something that was blue and you never knew what blue was, it's like, oh, okay, is that what that is? But as soon as somebody says, oh, but that's blue. And now you're understanding blue and you start to look around and see blue. And before it wasn't anything because you didn't have a word to describe it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, we don't want to limit ourselves necessarily, but having a language and a perspective can help us again with, with clues to not only how we work best, but also to what we've already done. That's been successful. Um, success leaves clues. And when we look back, we can say, oh, okay, it's like reverse engineering what we did that really worked. Oh, that's why I felt so proud in that moment. That's why I am so energized when I do this thing. That's why, aha. And then you can do more of that. Conversely, uh, I'm probably as importantly, there are times when we uncover this, I'm not productive, why am I struggling? And it's like, because what you're trying to do is like in direct violation of a core value Mm -hmm. and i've often said you can have the best system in place and then the lots of people sell systems and approaches and platforms and and habit structures and trackers and you name it right and that's why i don't start with those you can have the best one in place the best of intentions and even the motivation to start and if what you are doing is in um you know is contradicting a core value or contradicting, or maybe it could be in alignment with a core value, but there's another core value you have that takes priority. It it won't happen. You won't do the habit. You will quote fail. And I'm putting big air quotes here because I don't believe it's a fail. You just tend to feel that way uh, of whatever you were trying to accomplish, um, a a task or um, building a habit or whatever it was. And that's because foundationally what you were building upon wasn't wasn't solid
0: so do you happen to have and i hate to put you well no i don't hate to put you on the spot yeah
1: put me on the spot
0: (laughs) (laughs) do you happen to have like an example of how that would work like what would be a system that somebody might put in place but is in direct conflict to one or another of their core values
1: i can give you um, an example from my own life like right off the top of my head first thing i thought of and i remember the first time it happened i was like oh okay i value truly value being healthy and and movement and being strong and being strong for my family so self-care is very important and i would go to group classes which interestingly i'm a questioner but i like the the group classes for for different reasons and i can remember scheduling a group class in the afternoon and it was everything it was perfect it was with a teacher that i loved i love zumba by the way Mm -hmm. and it was a class that i absolutely loved everything about it was perfection but it conflicted with um when my children would come home from school oh so it was like again like a, a complete contradiction it was not in alignment with the priority that i have as a mom to be there for them which took precedent over the what i valued In terms of being healthy again you know in order to be the best mom and the best person and and all the things that i wanted to do and so i found myself skipping that class i found myself struggling to go i had all kinds of issues and i was like what is my problem and i was like oh Mm -hmm. because i want to be home when they're home." home yeah yeah if it had been an hour later I don't, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. It would have been perfectly fine. So yeah, it's that kind of thing where something else takes precedent. And so when you are struggling to achieve, you know, a goal, um, start a habit or something like that, that's one place you can look for clues and say, ooh, is there something that's not working for me? Uh, I don't know if this is another example exactly, but I do know when it comes to core values, Integrity is a big one for me, and I actually found that um, I struggled to to find or to kind of approach in a traditional sense with my podcast and everything else monetizing or sponsorship because the mm-hmm. the the talk that I walk is that we don't look at platforms we're not platform first i'm 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 person first mm-hmm. so eventually we'll get to one, but i'm not going to be. You know, I'm not going to ask uh, Trello or Clickup or whatever to sponsor me because I'm not going to direct someone to one of those platforms. Eventually, I can tell you about each of them. I have podcast episodes about each of them. We can discuss the pros and cons. We can figure out which one fits you. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm, and then I'm like, I, I love them. They're great, but that's not where we're starting. So I realized when that was an example of of you know being told to do something as an entrepreneur and i was like great idea and that'd be another way to monetize i love it and i'm like wait why am i so resistant to this what's the matter mm-hmm. with me and then i realized oh <laughs> because you know truth and integrity are so important to me that I, I can't do that it will contradict
0: that is really interesting because it's it it's so insidious the way that it all works together because. Yeah. You know that there's resistance. You know it's something that you want to do. Yeah. And sometimes that other thing is in your blind spot because you don't realize that there's another value that's above the one that you're looking at. And I think even just being able to have a conversation around it can bring awareness. Yeah. Because I really believe that, you know, and I'm probably, End up doing a whole podcast on why I'm doing the podcast <laughs> Because, yes, I love travel and I love personal transformation, but a lot of times the word transformation gets tossed around a lot too. And it, then it becomes what is transformation. But transformation to me doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. It can be you listen to a conversation and you just had an aha moment. hmm You recognize something in yourself and you're like, okay, now this is something that I get to go and look at. And in those moments, you have transformed yourself because you're not the same person going forward that you were before you had that aha moment. And then as you open and you're more aware to it, then things will start showing up, Mm -hmm. like going back to blue. When I was looking for my blue car, because I wanted a certain shade of blue and it had to be a certain shade of blue. (laughs) So I got my blue car and then I started noticing, it's like, oh, other people, because when I bought my car, it wasn't that popular and the shade wasn't that popular. But then all of a sudden I was like, oh, look, car cousin, car cousin, car cousin, because I started seeing the type of car, the shade of blue Because now I I was aware of it and it opened my mind to it. So I started to see it. So to me, transformation can be something really little. It doesn't have to be, I just had this mind-blowing experience. (laughs) And now, you know, I'm going to go to India and I'm a totally different human being than I ever was before. And now I know everything and I'm enlightened. That, (laughs) you know, that's not necessarily, I mean, not saying transformation can't look like that because it can, but. That's not all it is. It can just be, I just became aware of something and now I can look at something else and become a better version of me.
1: Yeah. yeah it doesn't have to be an epiphany it could just be an aha and what you're talking about with uh, spotting all those blue cars is um i love the sciency part of it is the reticular activating system in your brain where it picks up on uh it's like a filter and the, and the reason i wanted to bring that up is because everything that we're talking about uh and i think in terms of like decluttering when you say what's the space and that means the space of your life your heart your mind your your office you name it your space within your life what belongs and what doesn't well you need to create filters in order to figure that out Mm -hmm. and all the things we're talking about in terms of how we want to live and what we value and all of those things create those filters so then you can say yes and no and maybe and make those decisions then you start getting to the prioritizing things uh and making decisions on what to do and then that's how uh to and to kind of fully answer your question that we started with which is um, how as a multi-passionate with all the things you love and all the things that you want to do do you figure out how to honor that in a creative and authentic way without the burnout and that's how then you'll know that okay that can be a hobby that can be a not yet I'm going to do it eventually that I just needed to research and now I'm fine this I absolutely love um you're not taking it (laughs) I have I have a tight grip on it I will duct tape it to myself if I have to don't even you know so like you you start to understand where things belong and and to what extent and it's all that foundational work that we do helps you th- with uh, making those decisions that much easier as we go.
0: And I really, I just really like the idea of, I think, and you'd said it in the beginning, it's not working more or working harder, but working, taking a step back and working less.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, doing less, not doing more because people constantly think of productivity as doing more. Well, doing more, of what for starters we got to ask that question most of the time the doing more tends to put us in that area called busy and for mm. some reason that became elevated everybody wanted that oh I'm busy you know it, no I don't want to say busy you're not going to hear me say that if if anything I'll say I'm having a particularly active time at the moment like, <laughs> don't use the word busy that, that's a badge of honor I don't want and I don't recommend for you because busy paves a path to burnout Productive is a whole different ballgame. And that's what we want. And productivity is is efficiency and alignment and, you know, with your energy and your purpose and your goals and your values. And when you do that, you can actually do less and live more and breathe easier. And that's why that's my business mantra.
0: I love that. That almost just made me want to take a breath. Yeah. Take, yeah. Breathe in now exhale no that that that's the feeling that gave me so i love that so before we go Mm -hmm. i would like to well i I would like to know a fun fact about you and i would also like to know where people can find you so whichever order you prefer
1: (laughs) Ooh, fun fact in the bio that you read talking about um me acting like a rock star i actually am in a rock band so (laughs) so fun fact yeah music is a big part of my life i'm a musician and a singer and that's an example of something where i'm like you don't take that away from me ever i will always be doing that and it makes me a different person so yeah fun fact the the rock star thing is not just me and my delusions (laughs) (laughs) i love that And in terms of where you can find me uh, at my hub, which is my website, positivelyproductive.com. You can always find where to find me from there. But of course, you're listening to this awesome podcast here. So it would just be a hop, skip and a jump over to Positively Living. I'd be honored if you join me there. And if, as I mentioned before, you want to see me in action, being ridiculous and offering a little stress relief, then that would be over on instagram i'd love it if you come play with me that's positively underscore lisa and um i can guarantee a laugh or two whether i meant it or not
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow! okay y'all you have to check her out because i'm sure that there is gonna be more than a laugh or two (laughs) i have really enjoyed speaking to you today thank you again so much for being here
1: Thank you, Sophia. It's truly my pleasure.